Welcome to Daily Confidence for Entrepreneurs. In this episode, you will discover how people can overcome their resistance to making the sales call, the difference between an average salesperson and a great salesperson, why the person that has the contact information controls the conversation, and you will watch yours truly get exposed and coached by my friend, Jeremy the Merchant. Welcome, Jeremy. Great to have you here. Thanks so much for having me. appreciate it. Um, so as usual, during our show, <clears throat> we share topics, tips, and strategies for you to boost your confidence in running your business in different areas of uh, uh, your business, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, and today we are talking about the psychology of sales funnels. Um, very important uh, topic and conversation if you know anyone that could benefit from a sales funnel, uh, tag them or share the link with them. If you have questions for us, for me or Jeremy, put them in a comment and we'll do our best to uh, cover it. And then uh, if you have uh, any questions, post them in a comment. Uh, what else? Um, please make sure to like and subscribe to this show and whichever channel you're watching. And uh, I look forward to this very interesting conversation again. Now, um, customer retention and referrals are about six to 10 times less expensive compared to new lead generation. Now I'm sharing the step-by-step -step checklist and the blueprint to my program, simple retention formula that will allow you to get customers, appointments, referrals, repeat business and recurring revenue, which will also lead into higher profits. If that interests you at all, post a comment retention uh, on whichever channel you're watching and we'll send you the link to download it. Now, let me do the proper introduction to my friend Jeremy and uh, we'll, we'll talk about the psychology of sales funnels. Jeremy the Merchant is an international best-selling author, award-winning speaker, and the host of the Sales Team Rescue Podcast. He's done frontline front line sales and run sales teams for some of North America's leading companies in telecom, banking, insurance, and education, ending his corporate career after leading a small sales team to a record-breaking eight-figure sales year. That's pretty impressive. Made for a good year. In 2014, he launched Permission to Sell Consulting Group with the vision of helping grow sales teams all around the world. Since then, he's had the opportunity to help businesses from Santa Monica to Singapore to double their sales in as little as a few weeks. That is also impressive. Welcome, Jeremy. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Great to see you, my man. How was your day so far? It's been a busy one, but it's good. We got a new episode of the podcast out, and uh, I just I love in this being in this environment where we can engage, ask questions, and, and learn more about each other. Fantastic! Now, gang, if you're again, if you're watching or listening, um, please put questions, comments, or uh, or topics that you'd like to see us addressing during this conversation in a comment below. Um, so, Jeremy, let's dive into it. Uh, what is your story? Oh, my story. Well, I was born at a young age, originally from my mother. Oh, wait, you don't want to go back that far. Okay. Well, <laughs> the, I heard where, that were, I, where were you born, though? 
Uh, I was born in Fredericton, New Brunswick, which um, I'm only <laughs> 20 minutes away from there now. So at the end of the day, I didn't end up getting very far. Thanks. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, I grew up a little outside the city and I was, I was, I was picked on as a kid. So it's going to feel like a little sob story, but it, it, it fits. Um, and so I didn't get along with most of my peers, pretty quiet. Uh-huh. And I sat back and focused on making adults be impressed with me. So I paid attention to what made adults tick, what made my parents laugh or smile or make them proud of me and the, the teachers and things like that. And then I realized that those were the same skills that help you win sales. Yeah, I want to learn what makes someone tick. What are the buttons that you, you, know, you need to push to help them be excited about something? And then fast forward to when I was 14, got a job at a local convenience store. And I found this, these $1 scratch tickets. And they had the brand Dooley's at the top, which in Canada is a billiards hall. And I got really excited about them, but I was too young to buy them. So somebody walked into the store and I said, hey, have you seen these? You should buy one. And she bought two. And the next person came in. Hey, have you seen these? You should buy one. He bought two. And by the end of the weekend, my weekend shift that I was doing at this convenience store, um, I had sold out of all these scratch tickets. And then I realized that I can share my enthusiasm and I can influence people's buying decisions. Now, a $1 scratch ticket wasn't, wasn't an overly large commitment, but it was enough to get me intrigued. Mm-hmm. And it kept me on that path to sales to the point where I got involved at a call center. didn't have a clue what I was doing. Um, from a sales perspective, but there I learned that I really like to help people and coach people. But if I was number one or number two on the phones, they would keep me there. But if I was number three, they'd let me off the phones to go coach somebody. So I made it a point to be number three. And then I got to learn about coaching and, and helping people from there. And then once my more traditional corporate career um, kind of wrapped up, I decided, you know what? I want to go and and coach more people, more than one team at a time, um, and help make companies multiple millions of dollars. Love it. So, what do you do these days, and uh, who do you serve? So, right <clears throat> now, actually, I've I've been focusing on helping sales teams um, increase their sales, and sometimes it's a matter of a few little tweaks. Sometimes it's a big overhaul. The thing that I found the most, though, is that most teams, whether they're large or small, they often don't have the right systems in place. And that can be things like on the marketing side, like we're going to talk about sales funnels. It can even be on the system side, like a CRM. And I've recently come out with my own CRM system that helps with all that. And so that's really the focus. How do I make sales simpler for people? Love it. Yeah. As soon as you say simple, you've got my attention because my entire brand is about simple. So. Right. I, I, I'm a huge 80-20 fan, essentialist fan, simple fan. I've got an entire book series, my simple book series. So um, so while we're at it, what do you see like that people need to simplify the most about sales? Like what, what do they tend to like complicate too much and they then they, you know, they kind of hurt themselves by doing that? So the, the biggest thing is the voice in the head. <clears throat> The voice in their head, because we are brought up, most of us are brought up in a way that um, our parents inadvertently teach us that there's some kind of negative connotation about sales. Or maybe it's not our parents, but someone in our lives. Or we saw a movie like The Wolf of Wall Street, the movie, all about Jordan Belford. Well, it's designed to tell his story, but it also makes sales look 
pretty sketchy. Yeah. Right. Or my, I remember like as a kid, um, I remember my sister and I were watching this movie, Matilda. This is, I think it was 92 or something. Um, and the, the father or the adopted father in the story is played by Danny DeVito and he's a used car salesman. And he's got like just the, the most stereotypical salesperson ever. And you just don't want to be like that guy. And so this is the story that the media or our society tends to tell us that there's something bad about helping people buy. And it's because the story that's told is there's something bad about selling. Okay. Because people don't like to be sold to sold to. And that's still the reality today, but people love to buy. And I think it's really important that sales professionals, whether you're an entrepreneur, whether you're, you know, you're a CEO of a large company, whatever it is, everybody's selling. We're all selling. My son, I sell him on going to sleep at night. Like oh, we're yeah. selling in, in every part of our lives. And I think that we need to start wearing this as a badge of honor and not some big, um, like some big chip on your shoulder or some like level of embarrassment. And so if you can calm that voice that's saying, oh, I don't know. You don't want to be like that sales guy from Matilda. You don't want to be like that used car salesman that uh, we heard about and, and make it so all your sales interactions are more about not getting too pushy. Yep. Yep. Um, I think I've talked about this on the show before, but my theory on sales and why some people don't like it or resist it or paid it is the fact that I think everybody's a salesperson. Like you said, we all sell to each other. We sell to ourselves. We sell, sell to our, you know, uh, friends and family, convince them and persuade them to do different things. And that's why some people don't like it. And here's my, my the second part to my theory. And that is the people, the people that are most salesy are the people that kind of uh, don't like to be sold to. <laughs> That's yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's my theory. Well, this is very interesting because those that are, yeah. And you very well may may be right. I don't know the stats on that, but what I do know is that people that are good salespeople are some of the easiest to sell to. I'm it's so easy for me to be sold to because like, I know the triggers and I feel warm and fuzzy about them. Like, Oh, he asked me questions about my needs. He didn't just try to pitch me something. I feel good about that. Nice. Right? Yeah. So if you ever want to sell me something, it's so super easy. As long as it's actually uh, solving a problem, by all means. Get me up. So let's talk about some, some uh, uh, ways to overcome the resistance uh, to making the sales calls and to overcome that voice in the head. What do we need to do to deal with all that? So one of the biggest challenges is that we give into what I call emotional discretion, which is a very fancy scientific term that just means you don't feel like it. So you don't do it. Mm-hmm. And, and so you've got to give yourself some structure. So, for example, one thing that I've done is I set time out. If I say, OK, I need to go and make some cold calls or do some cold emails or do some kind of outreach. Maybe it's just messaging people on Facebook or whatever it is. I set some time aside and say, OK, that window's for that. It's not a long time. Maybe I'll sit there for 20 minutes, but I got to do it. That's my appointment with myself, with my business, because it has to get done. Now, it doesn't have to be three hours. Maybe someday it'll, you know, it'll increase to that. But I just want to give myself permission to block this time off to do it and know that there's an end. If I think, oh, no, like if you're doing a full day today, I got to do a bunch of cold outreach. And you just picture yourself being on the phone. I don't know why we do this anymore because our phones don't look like this, but, you know. 
doing call after call after call. It just seems exhausting. And so eliminate the feeling that it's going to go on forever and make it like start with a 20 or 30 minute window yeah. or start with a list of 10 people you want to reach out to. You know what? And when you call it, most people aren't going to pick up. So not a big deal. 10 calls will take you five minutes or less. Yeah. But if there's a chance that somebody picks up, you want to be on your game. And that fear of what happens when somebody picks up is the next issue. Like, oh no, what do I say? What do I do? Well, give yourself a script, practice it, or don't, but be comfortable. Like if I make a phone call, I used to, I used to have super high anxiety. So this is a story I don't share very often. Um, I used to have very, very high anxiety to the point where I hadn't been on a, on a public bus until I was, I think, 28, 30, something like that. My whole life, I was, a, I was so terrified. I had so much anxiety around jumping on public transportation because I was scared of interrupting other people's flow. What if I got on the bus and I didn't have the right change and I'd hold up the line and then people on the bus would be mad at me. People trying to get on the bus would be mad at me. The driver would get mad at me. Everybody would be mad, mad at me. No, I'm not going to do it. And so I just avoided the bus altogether. And it was because I didn't trust myself in that situation. So I think the greatest tip that I can give around overcoming this, this fear, this resistance, it's not so much here is the strategy to get it done. My advice is start trusting yourself and you'll start to impress yourself. Just know that when you get in the situation, it'll be okay. Now, I'll also tell you this. The first time you're in a situation, it's going to suck. You're going to suck. And that's okay. Get your first three, your first five, your first 10. No matter what client I've ever worked with, um, at least 70% of them, the first sales call I take, I'm not great. It's okay. I got to get back into my flow. Yeah. Right. But get the tough stuff done fast. Think about yeah. this. If your first three sales calls are going to be really bad, how fast do you want to get those out of the way? Immediately. Uh -huh. Get them done. Get them hammered out and hit your flow. Get your rhythm and trust yourself. And then give yourself an easy out. So here's the other thing that I'll, I'll suggest is I jump on sales calls all the time for a new client. I don't know all the information about the product and I don't need to. But I always give myself an out and I'll say that's a great question. Um, we're going to book a follow-up call and I'll get back to you with that. What other questions do you have? And so I give myself that permission. A lot of people will say, you got to close on the first call. You don't. Okay. If they already know all the information, great. You should like if it's fresh off a webinar coming through a sales funnel, maybe, but in general with sales calls, give yourself an out and not that allows you to get away from the conversation, but one that gives you the space to be able to go figure things out and come back and still look like a professional to this prospect because if you're trying to make things up on the fly yeah you know inadvertently you're lying if you don't really know the answer and you're guessing and it just makes you look uncomfortable so I just say that's a super great question i'm not entirely sure but we're going to book a follow-up call and i'll be sure to get that answer for you for sure and that, that that will make you look more professional and there's nothing wrong with saying look i don't know the answer to this but let me get that and get back to you yeah um and uh, to your earlier comment, like as, as, as a guy in uh, a company that we make calls for our people all day long, um, my thing is like, let, let's just make one call because sometimes I'm tired. Sometimes I've got things to do and I'm, mm -hmm. you know, we got th we, we're, we're human, right? And we all deal with that. Yeah. But then I, as soon as I make the first call or the second call, then I'm, my brain goes, oh, this is not that bad. 
Mm. Yep. And then the very goes, I knew it was, it was going to be, be be easy. And I'm like, dude, you've been stopping me all day from making a call. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's just like putting, you know, setting out your sneakers before the night before, if you're going to run in the morning, right? At least that's sure. one less thing taken off your plate. So you start that momentum with little steps. Totally. Absolutely. Um, what is the difference between a an average salesperson and a great salesperson? What do they do different? So there are a few things, but I think the number one thing in in full transparency, I haven't even mastered this to be honest. Okay, I do consider myself a great salesperson, not because I'm full of myself, but there's a lot of things in life I'm not good at. Sales calls is something I'm actually amazing at. And that's my thing. Lots of other things I'm horrible at. Yeah. And ask me to do your, your bookkeeping or whatever. But, but one of the things that can take somebody from good to great in sales is creating a consistent routine. So if your role is to be a sales rep of some sort, or you're the CEO of your own small business, you're an entrepreneur, um, you're a salesperson, okay? <laughs> if, you, if you're an entrepreneur, you're running your own business, you are a salesperson. You need to keep that in mind first. Get over it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then build it into your schedule. Do the same things. The most successful people, and I'm not going to say I'm the, one of the most successful people in the world. I'm, I've still got lots of work to do to get there. However, those that I would say are the most successful people are people that have routines. Mm -hmm. They consistently show up in the same way. Tony Robbins talks about doing his polar dips every morning. You know, like I'm not going to go jump in a big bucket of ice in the morning, but I have done cold showers um, in my routine. The, the more consistent I am with my routine, the better results that I have. And the reason that is, is because it's like, for example, um, I'm uh, I've got a new doctor recently and they want to check all my vitals and blah, blah, blah. And so I'm going in and I'm testing some things. We're doing tests and we want to monitor and see where our baseline is. Well, in sales, it's the same way. You want to continually get better, but you need to identify that base. What's your baseline? And if your baseline is some days you're getting up at six, some days you're getting up at five, some days you're getting up at eight, and some days you're rushing into your first call with food hanging out of your mouth, and other days you give yourself lots of time to relax and you're in front of your computer and can plan, um, it's great that you've got the variety, but it doesn't help you get better because you've got no baseline. But if you can set a consistent routine and maybe it is getting up at 5 a.m. If you're a fan of Robin Sharma and the 5 a.m. club, great. Be part of the 5 a.m. club or don't whatever, but just be consistent. And maybe you're up at six and then you go and work out until 7:30, and then you, you know, shower ready, eat until 8:30, and you're in front of your computer ready for your day at 9 a.m. Maybe that's your schedule. That's great. But if you do that consistently every single day, then you have a baseline and you can start optimizing the things that happen afterwards. Like, is there a time that's really great for your first call? Do you love a 9 a.m. call? Do you love a 10 a.m. call? Where's that sweet spot? How do you book your calls so that you have enough time between them to properly take notes, get the activities done, and you can put it out of your head before you move to the next one? And there's many little things like that. But first, having that routine is going to set you apart from anyone else because a lot of people are going oh i got to call in five minutes rush to the home office because now everybody's got a home office um you know they may or may not be fully dressed you know like there's so many variables that can happen now i mean me i'm in cargo shorts but my shirt looks good but that's my regular i'm not like rolling out of bed trying to jump on an interview 
So, mm-hmm. so we want to make sure that we've got some kind of baseline. So we've got somewhere to go from and grow from because otherwise we're essentially starting our progression from scratch every single day. And not only is it exhausting, it's a real waste of some opportunity. For sure. For sure. So what if you get tired of your routine? How do you deal with that? Cause you're like, Oh, I'm just so tired of this. Well, and- yeah. So I don't, I don't think I don't have a real good answer to this question, to be honest. Um, because I've never been tired with my routine. I've been tired in general, <laughs> or I've done things like I want to watch a movie that keeps me up and messes okay. up my routine. But, okay. but I think the thing is, and maybe tired's not the right word. Maybe it's bored. Like, Hey, I'm bored. Okay. Well, okay. think about it. What about it bores you? Because with any kind of testing, and this has to do with sales funnels, it has to do with business, anything. You can tweak something, but you only want to change one variable at a time. Now, forgive me. I've got a degree in marketing. So sometimes my marketing brain kicks in along with my my sales love. But when somebody says like, hey, what can I fix in my business? I don't do anything until I have the data. Like I need to see what's happening. Where are things dropping off? If somebody's feeling like they're bored, they're disengaged. Okay, something needs to change. Absolutely. And I think sometimes the the data and the systems don't properly measure or give credit to the emotional side of things like you've got to be on but if you're not feeling you know on top of your game what what contributed to it is this a normal thing or did you stay up drinking last night or did you miss your workout and didn't get the energy like uh, because maybe your routine is off or maybe you are just bored maybe you know at first thing in the morning instead of having your first call at 9 a.m Maybe you want to have 9 a.m. your time to start planning, mapping things out. Maybe it's about creating a hit list for the people you want to reach out to. Maybe that's the best time for you to write if you want to create content for your business. Like for me, I struggled a long time trying to get up in the morning to do a workout, but knowing that first thing in the morning is when my brain's the sharpest. And I, for long, the longest time, I felt like I was wasting that time on my body when I should have been using it to write or create or solve problems. Now, since then I've learned that I can actually think while I'm doing a workout and be competitive in that scenario. Um, so still maximizing it, but I had to tweak things in that case. I would just change how I looked at it. So the perception thing is a big one as well. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Um, is there like a good time for people to start calling is there a time to not call people or a time to a good time to call? So it depends on your audience um, and thinking about when's going to be optimal for them. So for example, there's going to be some assumptions and stereotypes I'm about to share. So that doesn't apply universally. However, um, if the person you're reaching out to is in an office environment and they are not the CEO, they might be more likely to take your call on a Friday afternoon because they're winding down and mentally checking out. Yeah. Okay. Or if you have a CEO that you know comes in early and is trying to get things done, you want to reach him. Well, maybe the 830 phone call is going to be the best fit. Catch him before the day does. Or her. Um, if you're calling people like more of a B2C environment, then when are they going to be most likely to answer and be less distracted? And those are two separate questions. Mm-hmm. You could get somebody on the phone um, at least piquing their interest, maybe on a Wednesday afternoon, but they don't have the time or focus to be able to engage with you in that moment. So you schedule your next call with them 
Friday morning when they're like, okay, it's a Friday. I'm not as stressed. I can start the day off and I got the afternoon to figure out what happens next. So it depends on what's going on in their world. I don't think that there's a universal time that's better, but in general, if you're looking for a busy professional, often earlier in the day, if, if they, if they're the kind of person that gets to the office a little bit early, like the eight 30, if the normal day starts at nine um, or I don't recommend this because it drives me nuts. But, you know, at the end of the day, the last half hour of the day, I mean, for me, you're interrupting my planning when that happens. But, you know, test it. The, the true answer is test it. Test it. Yep. <laughs> yep. Absolutely. You, you know, this is something that I think about um, uh, quite a bit. And it's something that I, I try to track. I mean, we make calls all, all day long. And I've had people where no matter what you do, they don't answer the calls in the afternoon but they would answer the calls in the morning. And there are people that who uh, vice versa. And there's some people that actually would, would be easier to get a hold of them in the evening. Like I've had people picking up their phone seven or eight or 9 PM even. And I thought, and going back to your comment about testing, I thought if somebody picks up the phone, they're just going to be yelling, screaming and swearing at me Mm. because it's 8 PM their time. And then, far from it like i haven't had a single mad person answering the phone just like hey it's me i'm talking about this is this a bad time and they're like uh no it's actually it's okay because i'm just at home and i've just had dinner and so uh, going back to your comment about testing i think a lot of people get afraid of testing as well Mm -hmm. right yeah and um it's probably the worst that could happen is like they're going to hang up on you or they or they'd be like this is a bad time right now call me later or never call me again They'd be like, all right, I'm not going to call you again. So it's, it's very rare that someone's going to lose their stuff on you, you know, like it, I mean, it can happen, but nowadays it's so easy to ignore. You just decline the call. Like for me, when someone's calling me, first of all, this is a, a strategy that works. I don't do it. And I hate when people do it to me. So that's my disclaimer for what I'm about to say, but there's a couple sales reps that I've dealt with and what they'll do is they'll call me. And I'll ignore because I'm not sure what the number is and I'm busy. And then they'll call back and I go, "Uh oh, two calls from the same number. Maybe it's an emergency of some sort and I answer. Yeah. So I do answer on the flip side. I'm going, hello. And when I find out that it's a sales call, I'm really irritated. So like it's a trade off. Technically, they got to me, but I wasn't happy about it. So they were engaging in a less than impressed version of me Um, for. What I like personally is if somebody calls, they leave a message so I can figure out who it is. And if there's someone I actually want to talk to, then I might not call them back. I always have a, but the next time I'll answer. In fact, maybe I'll save that number. Hey, this is there is um I don't want to give like a promo for software, but uh, there's a software platform called Light called Lightspeed. And it's the one like Grant Cardone, Les Brown, and every like all the big guys use for for running a course platform. Um, and it's a you know significant investment compared to some of the more generic ones that are out there. But I was interested in learning more. And so I got this guy, I got the sales rep in my phone. So when that number shows up, I know it's him. Now, I still don't always answer. In fact, I decided I'm not actually going to use the platform. So this isn't an endorsement for it, but it looks great. Like I'm very intrigued by it. But because I wanted to engage, even though I didn't necessarily answer when he called, I did save his contact information. And so next time he called, I knew who it was and I could make a fully informed decision. And if you're in a scenario where you're doing outreach 
and it's someone like you want them, like you think it's likely they're going to want to talk to you once they understand what you do, then leave a message and give them information. Now, don't call three times a day and leave three messages. In fact, back in a previous life, when I worked in an online university, our strategy was call, don't leave a message, call two hours later, leave a message, call two hours later, don't leave a message. Right. So you're trying to catch them, but they still have the opportunity to call you back if they want to. In this case, someone had inquired online about an online degree, so they were at least interested at some level. Um, but they can also save you in the phone, in their phone, so when you call back, they know who it is. Sure, for sure. So are you for leaving messages all the time, or should you alternate, or, or, or call, message, call, or how do you go about that? So it, it, it depends on, on the audience again. I mean, if you call a CEO three times in a day and leave three messages, it's going to look like you're stalking them. Um, however, there is something to the point of trying to catch them, like catch them when they're available. And so like maybe day one, and again, it's different if they've opted into something versus if it's completely cold, like if you're just cold calling a total stranger, it's a little different. Um, but I want to make sure that they understand what the opportunity is, because by default, you can be taught or treated like a telemarketer. Right. And so I don't if. I number calls me and then they don't do anything. I will probably never answer that call because I have no idea what they are. And whenever I do get irritated and I answer, they hang up because it's someone just validating. I have a phone number so they can sell it. Like it's very frustrating. But if somebody leaves a message, Hey, is Jeremy calling from permission to sell? I'm um, just wanted to give you a call because we saw that you've got, um, you know, these great growth plans in this video that you made. Um, and we wanted to see if we could help you along with that. So I'm going to try you a few more times, but give me a show back if you get this before I reach back out to you um, and just see if it's worth having a conversation. Thanks. So like plant that seed and treat them because you want them to want to talk to you, right? I did the call center thing. I, I sold for AT&T long distance services throughout the US. There was lots of people that didn't want to talk to me, especially when they had already left AT&T. So... I had to be very creative. I had to grab someone's attention. And now I like there's a friction that you don't need to have there. If you're solving somebody's problem, you just need to let them know what problem you're solving and remind them that they have it in a, you know, not rude and abrupt way. So that's, I, I think a voicemail is a really great tool for that. And with technology, if you're using a CRM, that's got, you know, all the great pieces together and there's lots of them that do you can pre-record a voicemail so that you've got it perfect every time mm -hmm. and you can just say you know um hey mustafa and then push the button and then you're recording of you going it's jeremy calling from permission to sell and i just wanted to reach out and whatever your perfect script is and then even your script is something you can test yeah right and then so oh, okay the script's getting uh i don't know 10 percent callback rate or two percent callback rate great what if I tweak this? What if I say this? And then you're going back to the testing. Like I think every great marketer should. For sure. For sure. For sure. Love it. Some good stuff there. Um, let's talk about improving sales skills. Mm -hmm. Let's say that uh, I I'm doing sales and uh, let's say I'm closing at 20%, mm -hmm. two out of 10 meetings I'm closing and I'm aiming to close at 30%, for example. Sure. Where do I start and how do I improve my skills? So 
first, I want to know more data. So we'll just make it up for this example. But I want to know if you're getting 10 calls, you're closing two, you want to close three. Mm-hmm. I want to get an understanding of where the calls are coming from. What's that experience on the marketing side first? Now, if it's consistent, let's just say they do know the product and you're just not closing them. Then I want to see, are these people qualified? So I'm actually going to, I don't want to say, you know, give you an out necessarily, okay. but I want to understand the variables that are going into it because it changes okay. the approach. Okay. So let's say these are qualified people. Mm-hmm. They have the money. And uh, uh, what else? What else did you know? Did you want to know um, um, how much information they know about what you're offering in advance? Like if they've seen a webinar or something. They haven't seen a webinar, okay. but then when they uh, uh, let's turn this into my own my own sure. situation. Yeah. So when they show up, with they don't know too much about what we do. Maybe they have an idea. Mm-hmm. I typically do a thirty minute call. For 20 minutes, I ask questions uh, to understand them well and dig deep. And then about the last 10 minutes, I share the solution and what we could do for them. Okay, perfect. Okay. So, and you want to go from 20% to 30%. So at a 10, that's only one extra person close. That's great. So I would actually go back and listen to your calls. So if you record calls, which everybody should record calls, even if you get asked permission, you should do it. And go back and see where people are feeling disconnected now typically like the simple if i was just going to say in general this is one thing you should look at it's how much do you believe in your product now in your case it's your product so the belief should be really high but in a general sales scenario we want to make sure that the sales rep has drinking the kool-aid okay it is so vital for example i used to work at london life insurance company or canada life insurance company which is the largest insurance company in canada and they I don't know if they required it, but they strongly encouraged you to buy your own life insurance policy. So you had the product you were talking about. Okay. There's also a reason why every network marketing company says become a product of the product. Yeah. Okay. Grant Cardone requires his team to consume his content every single day. Okay. You need to know the product to be able to sell it. And so you need to believe in it. And if you don't, then it's going to be easy to find reasons not to close. In the, mm-hmm. in the banking world, back in, again, a previous life, I was amazing at selling investments because I believed in investments. And I really struggled to sell loans because a lot of people wanted loans for things that I didn't think they should have a loan for. So I was actually unselling a lot of people. The bank didn't like that, by the way. But it, it just shows like your, your heart's going to drive you if you, don't, if you don't believe fully that the result that can be delivered is, is there then you're not going to sell as much. Now, let's assume, though, that you drank the Kool-Aid. You believe in what you're promoting, and you jump in the calls, and you're closing 20%. I want to see how effectively you're reacting to somebody on the call. So are you trying to jam in a sales pitch, or are you sincerely curious about the person? So in your case, you're talking for 20 minutes of the 30. You're asking questions. Not talking, you're asking questions, which is great. I want to see your flow. And within those questions, I want to highlight whether or not your questions are helping highlight a pain that the person has. And a lot of times they don't. They say, hey, we've, you know, we've got a great product. This is what it's going to do. Here's the result, blah, blah, blah. And they don't connect it. Like when you walk into a Best Buy and you say, yeah, I want to buy a TV. 
they're going to go great. Here's what's on sale. But if you walk into, well, in Canada, they, it, it was Future Shop and it was bought up by Best Buy. But in Future Shop, they had commissioned sales reps. There's a little lesson on commission too. Um, and I found that you got such better service because people wanted to make commissions. So they showed up. They asked you questions. They wanted to find a reason to sell you a bigger TV. So they'd ask, hey, what size of the room is this for? How far back is the, is the chairs and the sofa? And they could ask these questions. And suddenly you were going in to plan to buy a 28-inch TV. And they got you to buy a 55-inch because they shared with you that the experience would be better for you and your family. And that's what was important. So in this, go ahead. I don't think I'm inflicting pain or pointing to the pain enough. Okay. So in my situation, the questions that I ask would be around size of their list. What are they doing currently for follow-up and retention? Mm -hmm. Uh, their closing rates, about the size of the deals that they work on, average deal of value. How is the current follow-up and whatnot? I, I I don't think I'm pointing to trying to uncover or point to pain. And a part of me that probably... Now help me understand this because I'm sure. now that I'm speaking out loud is sometimes I'm like, I don't want to poke the pain. I just want to sell the solution and give them a good offer and have them be like, uh, this is amazing. I should get it. Right. Which what happens is just so you know, as my, I guess the sales coach here, um, what happens is sometimes they're like, Oh my God, this is an amazing thing. And then I'm like, yeah, great, great. Are we going to do it? They're like, no, let me think about it. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if those two would be related or not, but hundred percent, hundred percent. So the, the challenge is cause there's great value. Like um, I've got this killer pen here. It's an awesome pen mm -hmm. uh, handmade. Uh, I think it costs, I don't know, 60 or 80 bucks or hundred bucks or something. Um, great value. Are you going to walk into a market and spend a hundred bucks on a, on a pen? Probably not. Probably not. Cause that's not what you're there for. And even if somebody books a call with the intention of, um, you know, re-engaging their existing list, they might be curious, but they don't have an idea of where the price point is. And a lot of the people, the, the challenge is this. I believe that there's no such thing as something being too expensive. There's only not enough perceived value based on the requested investment. 100%. Okay. And so... What happens is if you don't find a way to push the pain, then you don't find a way to make this problem as relevant as it possibly can be for the person. So right. like, give me an example of how I could push the pain and or uncover the pain or bring it to their attention. Sure. So um, let's do a little role play. I'll be you. You be the customer. Uh, okay. So Mustafa, tell me a little bit about how how big of an email list do you have? About 5,500 people on our email list. Okay, awesome. Um, now, of those, how many are buyers right now? How many are buyers? Or how many uh, have spent money with you in the last 24 months? Let's say a couple hundred people. Gotcha. Okay. And what's your average price point? Average price point between ninety nine dollars to uh, fifteen thousand dollars. Okay, so would you say more people buy the lower end stuff? So the funnel is uh, the funnel was 
let's talk about right now. The average, do you want to talk, do we want, are we talking about with the current offer? Sure. Yeah. Like just the, the average, if, if somebody has purchased something in your list right now, what's the average spend? And you can guess. Average yeah. spend is about 3K okay. per month. So, all right. So 3K and you said, you say 200 to 300. 200? Starting with 200. 200 people. And that was an old, old example. Right now, they come in, the average is 3K. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So you get $3,000 spent on average and you said about 200 people in your list are buyers, right? Yeah. So right now, the list is worth 600000 to you, or at least the money that it's, re- it's generated, which is great. But here's the thing. You're only tapping into... Now, sometimes I use math uh, to, to really do this. So I'm going to say um, 200 out of 5,500. So you've only sold to 3.5% of your list. Mm-hmm. How much does it cost you right now to get a lead? About $300. $300 a lead. Okay. So great. So you've converted 3%. That's amazing. But the other 97% are just sitting there. Mm-hmm. And how much do you think? Now, I'm not saying we can convert them all. But what if you could just convert another 3%? Pretty small amount, right? But based on what you're telling me, that would make you what? Another? What was that $600,000? Mm-hmm. Okay. So... Even if there's just that little window, that little segment of people that we can reach out to, that's $600,000 in sales that's just sitting there. And the thing about an email list is that the further they go from that first point of engagement, the less likely they are to convert. So we could take care of things right now, get things rolling, and aim to get the $600,000 in new sales for you. Or... You can sit back and just keep doing what you're doing, making good money, but just know that you've got 97% of your database that you're spending $300 to get every single one of them and they're just sitting there rotting away. And I can do that for you for the investment of how much? Yeah. And I would just say, what questions do you have? I have um, a list of what's the word? Uh, a list of questions that would uncover pain or poke to pain, like pre pre preset questions in front of me. Totally, I guess I should. I already do. Yeah, okay. I need. I need. I, I think I need to think this through. Mm-hmm. One other thing. Way. Yeah, one other thing I'll mention is that even before the call, one thing that I've seen work really well is if you've got like a pre-call questionnaire, you can ask questions on that, on that in a way that primes people's thought process. Like if you ask them in the questionnaire, on average, what do you spend per lead? How many leads do you have in your database? Um, of your database, what percentage have actually purchased something? Like you can get all this information up front and then they're going, holy cow, only three, 3% of my database is purchased? Oh man, what am I wasting all that money for? And so if I've got, you know, 5,500 people, 97%, that's 500 or 5,335 people in there that I bought or I paid $300 for. That's me spending, you ready for this data? $1.6 million on leads that haven't bought.
and when they come to and when they call they come to the call realizing it and i can highlight especially if i have the information in front of me when i'm jumping on the call right and i can hit that home say hey based on what it looks like it looks like you spent 1.6 million dollars in leads that you haven't converted right yeah okay um how does that feel they're gonna go it feels horrible great so you've already invested 1.6 million let us take a shot at it we're not going to charge you 1.6 million again for the leads. We're going to turn those leads into making you money. And if we only convert another 3%, that can make you another $600,000. Is it worth a shot? You know, and that's without me talking about anything about your process or anything, right? That's just the emotional. Like, what I find is that we know that people make decisions emotionally yeah. and they rationalize them with logic. However, if you can bring in the logic in a, in a B2B environment, logic can tend to take precedence. You still want the emotion because like I asked, how do you feel about spending $1.6 million on leads that haven't made you money? But it'll feel very good. Right. So let's get you feeling good. And let's turn that $1.6 million investment into an actual return. Yes, you've made money already off the sales you made. That's awesome. But think about how much more we can do with just inserting our follow-up process into your existing system. Have our team do the work for you. Can you imagine if we can even just get your money back on that? Get you $1.6 million and you've done almost nothing off the leads that you've already purchased. How would that feel? Then maybe don't promise 100% of them buy or anything. But, you know, that's the conversation you can have. Uh-huh. And asking questions like, how does that feel is one of the most powerful things you can do. Because whether it's B2B or B2C, they have work. an emotional connection to it. 100%. 100%. I, I, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to sit down and design a bunch of questions that would uh, uncover and poke the pain. Mm-hmm. And I know sometimes I don't even go there. And I'm going to try to sit down and probably journal and try to answer the question of why am I not? Um, poking the pain. I wonder if I'm if I'm avoiding something. If it's a, if there's a fear there that I'm that I'm avoiding. Well, when it's completely natural to want to avoid offending someone, and so we're trained to talking about money. Um, like I, I guess part of me doesn't want to make them feel stupid, right? And 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 so part of that is just in how you present it, because if you go. So it looks like you just spent $1.6 million and didn't get a return on it. Is that right? That makes it feel stupid. If you're like, hey, okay, so I'm looking at it. It looks like at 300 bucks a lead at 5,500 or whatever it was, um, leads in your system. It looks like you've already made an investment of $1.6 million. Now that's significant, right? Yeah. Okay, great. So that's an asset you've already created. Let's turn that into a greater asset. You've created this list. Now let's turn it into an income stream. So then you can, so you don't have to, you can still hit the point home without them making them feel stupid. You, Cause it, it is that your email in every situation you're talking about people with that have email lists or contact lists, right? Uh-huh. So you can talk about how they've invested a significant amount in that asset, which is great. Now let's take it to the next step. And the reason that they haven't is they've been too busy or different priorities or whatever. Sure, and sure. Hmm. I will definitely work on that. Um, now, what about selling from? Same process. Never mind. 
I was thinking of selling selling from stage and here and there, but it's the same process. The, the 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 difference is you just need to make some assumptions. It's kind of like writing a landing page. You need to make some assumptions about how the audience feels. It has to be true about their pain and their frustrations and the rest of it. Okay. Yeah, but the most powerful thing you can do is getting them to agree. So, hey, how many people of you have an email list? Great. And how many of you wish that you had more of them as buyers? Great. So we're all in agreement that everybody here wants to have more buyers from the email list. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Let me tell you how to do that. You know, like you can still get the hands up and you can inspire it by being at the front of the room, putting the hands up. Um, that was one of the first speaking things that I ever learned. Get people to put their hands up, get them engaged. Oh, with sure. you. Oh, for sure. For sure. I'm actually pretty good at that. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't surprise me. <laughs> uh, getting people to get their hands up, high five each other, look at each other in the eye, say something to the person next to you and then the rest of it. Uh, post, post post something in the chat. I like doing that because I, I I hate it when when the room is dead and a bunch of people are either have their cameras off or they're just on their phone and yeah. they're not paying attention. For sure, for sure, for sure. And and um, the, one thing I'll mention on this on the speaking side, like if you're doing on a on the physical stage or a virtual stage, because you need to make assumptions, your offer stacking is going to play a much bigger role. So instead of just making a simple offer, you want to be like, look, we're going to include this valued at this. We're going to include this valued at this. And then the done, you get it all together and we're not going to charge you this. It's actually only going to be this. But if you act now, get this with the bonus of this. So, you know, the very like, um, you know, what is it? Slap chop. Very, very. Uh, um, what's the word? As seen on TV. Ask, if you will. But it works. Got it. Got it. Um. Jeremy, what does a path to a 10K a month look like for a salesperson or a business owner? Okay. So yeah, this this is this comes from um, a lot of business owners saying, hey, I want to build a sales team. I don't have any money. Can I build it on commission only? And it's very, very tough. Okay. If you were brand new to business and you just hate sales, don't try to build the sales team. Just get good at sales. I promise you it'll be worth it because it's a superpower you'll have for the rest of your life. However, if you have an, well, there's a few things that you need before you're ready for a sales team, whether it's commission only or not. And one is you need to have a repeatable process. So you being the founder, for example, you're going to be able to sell in a way that's different than any sales rep that you have. Okay. You can pull on, you know, 20 plus years experience and can answer anything that comes up. That's not something you can teach somebody overnight or maybe ever. So you need to create a, a process, a script that someone can borrow and use. And until you have a replicatable sales process and one that you can document, you're not ready for a sales team. But to the question of people asking, um, how do I build a, a commission-only sales team? It's actually simple, not easy, but simple. And that is you just need to be able to show your sales reps a clear path to 10K months. How do they make $10,000 a month? And they don't have to achieve it right away, but you need to see, they need to show them a clear path. And so they need to see a product that has a big enough commission and enough leads coming in that they'll be able to close enough to make that commission eventually. So if I have a product that I make a $1,000 commission on, I need to feel good that in the next five or six months, I have enough resources. I have the skill set. I have the tools. I have the leads and the training to be able to close at least 10 of those a month. And so 
it's okay if I need to have a 30% close rate to get there. That's just a skill set that I can improve. But they, and you need to be able to see that clear path because otherwise you're going to lose people. Um, I had a client who we tried to, we tried to build up this commission only sales team. And as soon as I brought on two amazing reps, the client stopped the lead generation and no leads came in and we hired them under the pretense that they would be getting calls booked for them. So now we were saying, Hey, go back to the database of people that we've called lots of times and they haven't responded and try to build something out of that. And if someone's on commission only, they don't want to do that because they can go put their hand up and be picked up almost anywhere by someone who actually does have a system in place. We're in a unique spot right now where there's so many like people that don't want to go back to work, but so many people need good workers. And so in the sales space, if you're willing to work on commission only, it's no problem for you to go get a job. doesn't mean you're good, but it's no problem for you to go get a job. Okay. Oh, you're, you're muted. I'm sorry. I was just saying you can have that job any day you want if you're commission only. Exactly. But someone who's good at commission only won't stay if the systems aren't in place to make them successful. For sure. Right. So, so that's the key. They need to have that clear path to 10K. Maybe some of it's a base, some of it's commission. But it all needs to be a possibility. And I would say like a clear path within the first six months. So I'm, I'm, correct me if I'm wrong. Like the, the main thing they need to have figured out is their lead generation machine. Yeah, like, I would say that's the biggest thing. So if you're hiring for a sales rep, one thing is you want to be really clear on whether or not you're hiring for a closer or a business development rep mm -hmm. or an account manager or someone that you want to do all of it. And if you want someone to do all of it, do, you're not going to get a good team on commission only. Yeah. You can probably get closers on commission only if you have all the other pieces in place. They know the mm -hmm. leads are coming in. They know that you're going to be able to deliver as well because they don't want to be closing a deal. Find that, you know, Joe Smith's, um, I don't know, online course isn't any good and people are coming back complaining. Because as a closer, you have this identity about you. But, you know, I do great things for people. I help people make tough decisions. I influence people's buying behaviors so that they make the right decision for themselves, their family, their business. That's the identity of a closer, typically. So that needs to be aligned. And if it's not aligned, then you're either not going to get them in the first place or they're not going to stick around long. For sure, for sure, for sure. Love it. Um, Jeremy, tell us about your, uh, your gift, the five C's of successful sales conversations. Yeah, so this is, it's a really short, it's like a two-page PDF. Um, it essentially shares the five key areas that you need to cover in an initial discovery or strategy session uh, and takes you through building that relationship with people, getting to that point where you're asking them, hey, 10 years from this, and this is the most powerful part. And this is kind of the pain that we talked about is um, what does life look like for you 10 years from now if everything continues the same way it is? How does that feel? Okay, now, 10 years from now, if you get the support you need, you get this big challenge that you have taken off your plate, then how does life look 10 years from now? How does that feel? Great. On a scale from 1 to 10, how much do you want to make that second reality actually come to fruition? Oh, 10, I want to, you know, great. They just admitted they, you know, that they said they want the, the solution. 
Great. What questions do you have? Most people will sell themselves at that point. So this is just five simple things. And there's some hints for questions and language that you can use. But it's a PDF that I've had people just put up on their wall next to their computer and use it to guide them through big ticket sales conversations. And the first guy that I presented it to um, as, as a client, he went off and closed a $10,000 sale. Just using the structure. For sure. For sure. Could be very, very, very powerful so gang the link is in the comments on social and it's in the con and the descriptions of the show on the podcast and or if you're watching or listening on social media it is right there go there get access to the five c's of successful sales conversations and uh do reach out to jeremy as you can see he knows what he's doing he is a master at sales and he can certainly uh help you improve your sales process and reach out book a call with him and uh, mention our show's name and maybe he'll throw something sweet in there for you. You never know. Never right? he, he is a giver and uh, an awesome, awesome dude and uh, can't say enough good stuff um, about him. Now, um, Jeremy, do you mind if I ask a couple of uh, personal questions? Sure. What's a new thing you've tried recently? A new thing I've tried recently. fatherhood i mean i'm almost 12 months into that now okay <laughs> but fatherhood is new my little guy is going to be a one year old in a week um actually the newest thing is actually taking him to daycare that terrified me it really challenged my ability to trust somebody with my child i've never i was like ah, it won't be a problem that's whatever do, honestly i'm going to say this to the world that's watching right now the night before he went to daycare i cried for at least 20 minutes because i was just terrified that something horrible could happen I got over it, but I did. I broke down and like, it just made me realize how much I love this little guy and how important he is to me. And just, yeah. So. Yeah. I, like, I, oh, um, we, we haven't put our kids in daycare ever, but then uh, a few times we went out skiing mm -hmm. uh, uh, on the hill and they have a daycare there. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I couldn't leave my kid here. I don't know who these people are. And um, um so, yeah, no, it's a tough, tough decision. It's, it's terrifying. And it's like, I can't ask my wife to not go back to work to a job she loves. She's a for teacher. Sure. So it's a tough decision for sure. Yeah. Um, what are your top two favorite books of all time? Ooh, so. Hang on. Of all time. Oh, of all time. I'm sorry. Um, or if you have a couple of recent ones. Okay. Have, okay. Have so massive impact on business or life. Okay, so this is one that's actually more of like a personal story. Um, I've got this copy of Over the Top, which is written by Zig Ziglar. Now, this is more of a life book, but this particular copy was gifted to me from the Zig Ziglar organization when I was actually helping out um, do sales and run a team for uh, Zig Ziglar and Kevin Harrington. And this particular copy is an exact replica, certified... Um, exact replica of the one that Zig Ziglar himself had as a copy of his own book. So there's notes in the margins. If you hear, it's there's actually Zig, um, Zig's, notes. Zig's notes, his, his dog-eared pages. I don't know how well you can see this on the camera, but like the, there's a check mark there. Um, and it's just amazing. Like it, that just, it, the book just means a lot to me because there's, I don't know what, how many copies there are, but it's a, it's a very unique thing. Um, as far as books that actually, um, make you know big changes uh 
one book that I truly fell in love with was Patrick Lencioni's The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. And uh, this started because I was asked to teach a training on the five habits of a high-performing team or something like that. And it was based on his book. So I read the book and it was just amazing. So that one, if you've got a team, you want to get your team dynamics figured out, build that trust, build that relationship with them. Patrick Lencioni's Five Dysfunctions of a Team is a huge one. And my other one, I think, is uh, Robin Sharma's Leader Without a Title, which just talks about how you can show up. It doesn't matter what your role is in a company or what your title is. You can still show up and be the best person at what you do, and it can make a huge impact on others. Love it. What advice, what advice made a big impact um, in life or business? Uh, my dad... There's a couple things I'm going to say. My dad told me to dress for the job I want, not the job I have, which is a little less relevant when you're online, but I show up with a collar for almost everything I'm on video for just because I feel like it makes a difference. And during the pandemic, when everybody else was going t-shirts on Zoom, I put on a full tie just to stand out. Um, the other thing is somebody uh, who is a total rock star. Her name is Heather Stafford. She told me, stay in your own lane. And it was interesting because she was basically telling me not to touch other parts of people's businesses that weren't my super, my area of genius, right? She's like, stay in your own lane, stick with the sales. And I thought that was so powerful because there's so many things that you can impact, not necessarily in a positive way, if you go too far out of your lane. So if you get very, like me, I'll coach you on sales calls. You want my superpower? It's that. Put me on sales calls and let me coach you on sales calls. I can talk about funnels. I can talk about everything sales and most things marketing, but my superpower is sales calls. God, that's the land that I want to stay in. Love it. If you had a, a Facebook or a Google ad with a message for people around the globe with access to internet, what would your message be? Um, my message would be somebody is waiting for you to do that thing that you're scared to do. And, I'm, and the, the thought behind that is that we, from a sales perspective, our job is to help get, let people know about us and the services that we do, or if we're representing another company, the services they do. And if, someone needs us and they don't know about us it's our fault mm -hmm. not theirs and mm -hmm. so somebody somewhere like is waiting for me right now to reach out to them to say hey i can help you close more sales through your sales calls and some people in the world i will never get to and so they will never get better on their sales they may struggle financially or they may not be able to provide the impact for the family that they want and that's on me so if there's something that you're waiting to do in your business whether it's you or someone listening or someone in a sales role don't make the excuses because if you give in to the excuses and don't actually take action, you're being selfish and letting somebody else down. Love it. Love it. To your point, uh, uh, there was a, there was a question that I read that I added kind of to my daily, daily morning questions. And the question was, I've got it right here. Let me just pull it right up. Cause I think it's, it will answer that one thing. Uh, and it is, What would I do today if I had all the courage in the world? Mm. Yeah. That's a good one. That's a very good one. Yeah. It's like, what would you do if you knew you couldn't fail? 
right? Same thing. Yeah. What would you What would you do if you weren't afraid, or what would you do if you if you were a rock star? Mm. Yeah, man. Well, Jeremy, thank you very much. This this was a value bomb. You you dropped a lot of good stuff. Shared a lot of awesome information and uh, actionable actionable advice, gang. If you're watching or listening, uh, and you need help with your sales and you're just not sure what you're doing with your sales, um, do reach out. Go to permissiontosell.com. Reach out to Jeremy and go download uh, uh, the five C's of successful sales conversations and uh, get a hold of him. The guy is uh, is uh, is full of knowledge and sales wisdom, and he can certainly help. And, and guys, hey. one thing, sorry, one thing I'll mention is if you just want to listen to some more tidbits from me, go check out the podcast at salesteamrescue.com as well. Fantastic. Fantastic. Is there anything else that we didn't get a chance to talk to you, you might want to talk about before um, we wrap up? There's lots of things, but nothing that I can cover in the time. <laughs> we'll have to do it again for a third time. <laughs> for sure. For sure. Well, gang, uh, thank you for joining us. Uh, leave a comment. If you have, still have questions about sales for me or Jer Jeremy, put it in a comment on social media and we'll get back to you. Thank you for joining us. You've been listening to Daily Conference for Entrepreneurs. My name is Mustafa Hosseini, and we will see you next week. Bye now.